Good morning. Um, God just does chase us down. All um, yesterday, he was chasing me because I was nervous. And he kept chasing me, and I'm going around like a headless chicken. Um, and he was trying to just get me to sit down. And between him and I, over the years, many years, it's always been a thing where he said to me, be still and know that I am God. And every time I sort of clicked on something on the tape, I was watching, it would be that message, be still and know that I am God. And this morning, just before I came out, I thought, oh, I'll just read these a little bit in my book. And the last line was, be still and know that I am God. And you know, he's such a good God. He cares about the smallest detail, the white roses. I mean, that's just awesome, isn't it? You know how he knew that meant so much to Yvonne. And you know, the word today is not condemning, it's to set you free. God wants you free to move on into who you really are in him. So I'm just going to start off with Isaiah 62.10, and this is the Passion Translation. Pass through, pass through the gates and go from old to new. Prepare a new path for the people. Build up, build up a highway for them to come to me. Remove every hindrance and unfurl a banner for the nations. Now I'm going to zone in on hindrance. I'd love to unpack the whole thing, but we haven't got time. But hindrance, and a hindrance means provide a resistance, delay, obstruction to the development process. Now, if we've got a hindrance in our life, we're delaying our process. God wants us to move on, move on into who we really are because he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Not just for me, not just for Chris, not just for certain people, for everyone. He's got a plan and a purpose, and it's special for you, whatever that is. So we're all in a process of development into who we are in Christ. Uh, The hindrances will delay you and keep you a prisoner to your old self. And in John 8.32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the the word truth in the Hebrew, I'm a bit like Stuart, I go back into like the Hebrew or Greek, and truth actually called Amet. And the thing is, it's made up of the first, the middle, and the last alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first, the last, the, sorry, the first, the last, the first, the middle, the last. And so that's God. God is truth. Alpha and omega and everything in between. He is truth. And the problem is we get caught in the deceit of the enemy. And sometimes we don't realize that we're caught in that. It becomes a stronghold in the mind. And it's a lie that we're living. So I just want to um, tell a story. And it comes from 1 Samuel. Now, I've had to really squash it all in because of the time. So bear with me. I'm just picking out some of the important things that I felt God wanted me to say. So, sorry. 
me ages to find it <laughs> all the worries are coming up here honestly you don't don't realize so <laughs> taken from one samuel okay so this is a time when again the israelites have gone round in a circle and there's moral decay and god is raising judges at different times crucial times to lead the way and at that time, there's Samuel the prophet, and he's also judge. And Samuel is getting older, and he's got two sons. And the two sons don't walk in God's ways. Now, what I'm wanting you to do is, as I'm telling the story, maybe clock the hindrances, okay? So that's going to keep you alert. Okay. So Samuel the prophet is old. His two sons are not walking in God's ways. And the the Israelites come to Samuel and say, we want a king. So they were moaning and groaning as they normally do. We want a king like the other nations. Now Samuel's feeling quite rejected about that. And he goes to God and he says, look, your people are wanting a king. They don't want to judge anymore. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But he said, I will give them a king. But you need to tell them, this king is going to take their sons, their daughters, their land, their servants for his use. Samuel goes back to the people and says, yeah, God says you can have a king. But, you know, he's going to take these things away from you. But the people still say, no, we want a king. We want a king. So on the scene comes a man called Saul. Now, Saul knows nothing about this. He's been sent out by his father to look for donkeys. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? He's got no idea he's going to be anointed as king. So anyway, he's looking for the donkeys. He goes out with the servant. They can't find the donkeys. So the servant says, let's go to the prophet Samuel because he knows everything and he knows what's in your heart. So, okay. So they go to seek out Samuel. And in the meantime, God's saying to Samuel, Samuel, there's going to be a man that you're going to come and meet soon, and you're going to anoint him as king. So Saul actually then finds Samuel and is absolutely amazed when Samuel's saying, I'm going to anoint you as king. I mean, you know, how can you dream of that? And that's how God works. Often, we don't know what's around the corner. And I just say, thank you, God, because if I knew what was around the corner, I wouldn't want to go around it. I can tell you that now. (laughs) I'll be putting the brakes on. And so Saul is saying, but hold on a moment. I am the least of the families of the least of the tribes of Israel. How How can I be king? So Samuel says, well, God has chosen you to be king, so I am anointing you as king. And then they have no idea how a king is supposed to act. So Samuel actually then writes a a rule book in accordance with the law and covenant of God. They go back to the people of Israel. Samuel shows Saul to the people and says, this is your new king. He's now in command of everything. But Samuel instructs the people and says, 
do not turn aside from following the Lord by going back into empty things that will not profit or deliver you. So we've got Saul now as king. And initially, he's a great king, but eventually the flaws start to show. And he starts to turn his back on the Lord, and he does things his own way. And he actually um, gives an offering to the Lord. Now, that position and authority is actually for the priests, not for the king to do at that time. It's different now. We're all kings and priests. But at that time, there was separation. And Saul gave an offering. Now, this really grieved Samuel because he knew it was going totally against God. It was total disobedience. And Samuel cried out to the Lord because he was so grieved that he had poured so much into Saul, and yet he was going the wrong way. And Saul then challenges, sorry, Samuel then challenges Saul and says, look what you've done. You've been disobedient to the Lord. And once Saul is challenged, he actually becomes aware of the disobedience. But he feared the people more than he feared God. So Saul's life continues to decline, and he gets a distressing spirit. And, and Samuel is told, don't grieve for Saul anymore. Enough. I want you to go and anoint a man after my own heart. And so Samuel then goes off to find this man that God now wants anointed as the next king when Saul is out of the way. Now Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And seeing the oldest son, who's a good appearance, looks good, thinks to himself, that's the one. But God says, no, do not judge by the outward appearance. For I look at the heart. And God still looks at the heart. So, you know, we can all put on an appearance. It's so easy. But God actually looks at the heart. And David is then anointed. Um, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And this is when God starts to train David as the next king. Now, we're all in training. We're all in a process. And God continues to build us and train us for whatever he's got for us. Um, We often think, well, you know, we're not doing much. Actually, God is putting you in certain places where you've probably got to change. He's probably given you a bit of a crushing somewhere along the line. I'm wanting you to change. So David's now anointed. But he just carries on just looking after the sheep, as he's always done. But Saul is now struggling, and he's got a distressing spirit. And David plays the harp. Now, I'm not quite sure how David ends up in front of Saul, but he does. And... He's presented to Saul. And when Saul sees him, actually, Saul really loves David. It really comes into his heart. And David then plays the harp every time there's this distressing spirit. And because of the anointing on David, Saul is released of that evil spirit. And that's what it was called. It was called an evil spirit. So David was accepted. Um, At the time, he's still looking after his his father's sheep, but coming back 
to play the harp for Saul. So he's sort of in, in between these two different ways of living, really, going backwards and forwards. And then one day, his father says to him, David, can you take some food to your brothers, who's in the army, and the captain of the army, and let me know what's happening, because the Philistines are coming against the Israelites. And so he goes, David goes with the food, and his oldest brother says, oh, it's David. He ridicules him and intimidates him. And he says, so who's looking after your few sheep? Who's looking after them? I know your pride and insolence of your heart. You've just come to see what's happening at the battle. Now, I, I sort of looked at that and I thought, Lord, you're saying David's a man after your own heart. And yet his older brother is actually saying he's full of pride and insolence. And just felt the Lord say, you know, when anybody's jealous or you've got the negative about somebody, it gives you that twisted view of them. So his older brother actually had a very twisted view of what David was really like. And that can sometimes happen to us. I don't know if it's happened to you at all, but, you know, we're going on in our anointing. But you just get all of this coming at you. People may be coming at you. And it's not people, it's the enemy behind them. Just having a prod. Well, we know then that David kills the giant. He's nine foot nine. Wow, that is tall, isn't it? That is tall. Um, and David acts wisely, and he's put into the army, the elite army. And he's accepted by the people, and another battle's won. And so this is where we hear. Saul is slain a thousand, but David ten thousand. And Saul is angry and suspicious. He's jealous of David. Now David is just doing what he's anointed to do. He's not going out of his way to make Saul jealous. He's not going out of his way to kill more than what Saul has done. And so the jealousy gets worse with King Saul to the point where he wants to kill David. He wants to kill him. And David flees away from the danger. He's got no other choice but to actually separate himself from this person. And Saul is actually saying to the people, David is crafty. So again, we're seeing that wherever there's this anger or jealousy, it twists what you're thinking of people, twists it, and the enemy uses it. But David keeps his heart clear. He keeps his conscience clear. He doesn't blame Saul. He just separates himself away. And it comes to um, a place now Saul is pursuing David. And the wars are still going on. And David and his men, who I find amazing as well, that they're all sort of cast-offs, I suppose. You know, nobody really wants them to be friends, or they're thieves or criminals. And yet David has them in his band. And they're called mighty men. So anyway, David and his men are in this cave. 
Now, I've been around that part of Israel, and the caves are enormous. So he could have been, at, you know, all of them at the back of the cave. And Saul comes in to, to it says, to sort of meet his needs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and David's men are saying, David, you've got a chance now. God is putting this man into your hand. So this is your chance to get rid of him. But David goes and he takes a part of Saul's robe. And even doing that, he is convicted. And he knows that he has touched the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul was coming after him, he knew he was still the king. He was still God's anointed one at that time. And so therefore, he'd done wrong. And David, because he's got such a tender heart, he is convicted of that. And he knows he needs to put it right. And so when Saul leaves the cave, David goes out after him and he bows to him. He's still the king. So even though he wants to kill David, David bows to him. And he says to him, Saul, why do you listen to the people who say that I want to harm you? I don't want to harm you. And then at the end, he says, let the Lord judge between me and you, Saul, and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David did not realign himself to Saul. Even though there was that reconciliation, he knew that he still had to separate himself away from that relationship. It was poison. Now, Samuel has given everything to Saul And he's now very, very old, and he dies. And Saul is distraught. He's got the Philistines coming towards him. He's got nobody there that he can turn to to speak to for wisdom. And so what does he do? He calls for the mediums. He wants to speak to Samuel, and he thinks the mediums are going to conjure up this, um, you know, Samuel from the dead. Now, we know God does not agree with that at all. And the problem is Saul is now totally deceived. And it goes on just a short time and Saul then falls on his sword and actually ends his own life. So we can see there's a pattern there. That if you have these blockages, these hindrances in your life, they can really start to turn your life on a downward slope. David kept his heart clear always seeking the Lord, always um, checking, Lord, what do I do here? What do I do there? Depended on the Lord. And so, hindrances that delay the progress. And you probably clocked up a lot more than I did, but... Grumbling, complaining, and moaning. Hindrance. You'll just go round and round and round in circles, just like the Israelites. They never went forward. They went forward for a bit, and then they ended up back round in circles again. And the thing is, it doesn't get you anywhere. We can grumble, we can moan, but what we're doing is we're putting our eyes in that direction instead of actually turning and looking at what we have got Because there's always things that we can, you know, count our blessings that God has given us. Because when we're moaning and groaning, it's just saying, God, you haven't given me what I wanted. This is God who knows you. He knows 
what you need in your life. Another one is rejection, fear, and judging. Again, all things that are hindering our walk with the Lord. And God is not condemning anybody here. At the end of the day, we all have these internal battles going on. And God's just saying, I just want you free of them. Today is a day where we can, you can be set free from these things. We choose what we want to do. We choose if we want to feel bad that we've been rejected. But God never rejects us. And he's the most important. The next one. Not agreeing with who God says you are. You know, always thinking less of yourself. And I know we all tend to do that. You know, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. Oh, I'm not. You know, but God says, no, come on, this is who I've made you to be. I want you to step out into who you are because then you'll realize what's inside of you. Next one, going back into what you knew before. It is so easy to go back into that comfort zone, isn't it? It's so hard sometimes to push forward because it's the unknown territory, and that's scary. But until we step out, then that unknown is not going to become known again. And if you think everything in life is a challenge, when we go to school, great. Okay, you got used to that first day and you got friends and then we're put up into another class and it's all like change again. And then we go up to another school and it's all change again. And these are all challenges that kids are going to face. But when we're older, we don't really like it. Oh no, I stay in my little comfort zone. But that's no good. God says, come on out. See the world. Have an experience. Have an adventure. God, you know, when I look back, my life was dull. Now, I never know what's going to happen. It's all like crazy. Okay. The next is looking to idols. Anything that you put in front of you that you trust in more than God is an idol. And that can be a person, it could be your wife, it could be your husband, it could be a friend, it could be the pastor, you know, oh, let's run to the pastor, oh, let's run to the pastor. I know we do that, Chris. <laughs> um, but, you know, we can't make an idol of somebody because that is putting them in front of God. And so the next one is jealousy and comparing. Jealousy is a poison. And what it's saying is, I'm not, I'm not good enough. But what's happening is you're not looking at what you've got. You're looking at somebody else and thinking that they are much better than you. And you're not. God has made you unique, special. Each one, you've all got giftings. You're all amazing. But if you're looking again, looking that way and being jealous, you're missing what God has got for you. And he's saying refocus. Look at what I've given you. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. You've never been in somebody else's shoes to know what they've gone through to get where they are. And I know Chris says, you know, he's had struggles of sort of speaking out and things like that. And he's pushed through. But we've all got the struggles 
that we've been through. Nobody is wearing somebody else's shoes. And so let's embrace each other. Let's embrace those gifts that are in each one of us because we're all needed. We're all part of the body. So whatever you are doing is what God's made you to do, and it's special. Without you, we're like a finger missing. You know, we're just not in the right moving on as such. And now the next one is occult ways. I just want to talk about the occult because we don't always hear a lot about it. You know, we kind of shy away. But as I was sat with the Lord, I suddenly had a real revelation. Um, I have a drink again, excuse me. A real revelation that, you know, I was brought up in a, a Christian family, but we weren't born again. We were religious. Um, sent to Sunday school, probably sent out the way more than anything else, I think. Um, but I, lo- I, you know, I love Jesus. But I never asked him into my life. It was never, wasn't even brought up where I went. It just wasn't, you know, you just believed. So I believed. But I had religion. I didn't have a relationship. And then in my teens, you know, you walk away from church, there's more things going on. And I remember dabbling in the occult thinking it was fun. Ouija boards, seance, spiritualists, fortune tellers, horoscopes, thinking it was all giggle, not actually realizing this was bringing darkness into my life in a big way. And I looked back and I thought, God, you know, from my teens, I did not make wise choices. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I had a relationship with the Lord. But before that time, I got hooked on the horoscopes. I was so insecure that I would phone them up. And if I didn't like one, I would phone up another. And if I didn't like that one, I'd phone up another. And I would go on like that. And that was my daily routine. And my phone bills were extortionate. They were ridiculous. And the thing was, I was just so insecure. I wanted somebody to tell me that life was going to be okay. And then I accepted Jesus into my life. And it doesn't mean to say that, oh, everything's fine the next day. I was, I was still a bit of a mess. But gradually, he just brought me out of it. But I was led, I was really blessed, I was led to a healing and deliverance ministry. And I was just so blessed with them. They just loved me. I was there for about 15 years, and they taught me a lot. But I think it was the second week I was there... I was there for about 15 years. Second week I was there, there was this teaching on the occult. Well, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, oh, that's me. God had his finger on me. He wanted to deliver me, well and truly deliver me. And I'm listening to all the effects that it can have on your life and how it can bring darkness and how you can choose the wrong pathway. And I'm thinking... Oh, it's me. So naturally, they call people forward, as they do. You know, I'm there, I'm shocked. I'm first in the queue, out the way, everyone, because I want rid of this thing. And, you know, they prayed for me. I renounced it, repented, prayed for, just released. And the release was phenomenal. 
it was just this whole darkness was lifted off me. And it was just amazing. Um, you know, and I, I just urge you, if any of you have been into it, then please seek leaders, ministry team, elders, and just get prayer. Because you'll be set free. And you won't have this thing hanging over you like a dark cloud. You know, I was sad to say that I did get to a place where I tried to commit suicide. And when I look back, I think, God, you were there. You were there. But I totally believe that that was the enemy trying to get rid of my life. And Saul did the same. And he was influenced by the dark. Okay, so I just want to go on to attitude. (laughs) A settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Only time that counts is now. Yesterday's gone. You know, it doesn't matter much how much we might want to change something in the past. We can't. We can't go back in and change that. We can always apologize to somebody if we've done anything wrong. And I've done that plenty of times, realizing what I've done. Tomorrow hasn't arrived yet. Now we can make plans for tomorrow, holidays, you know, what we're going to do, everything like that, and that's great. But we don't really know what's around the corner, like Saul. He didn't know what was around the corner. But the attitude and actions that we take now sets us on the course for our future. So whatever decision you make now sets you on your course. So if you choose, yeah, I'm going to stop being jealous or I've got somebody jealous of me, I'm not going to retaliate, whatever it is, I'm going to... Look to keep my heart clear so that God then can move me on. Saul chose to live in jealousy. He constantly fed it with the wrong attitude and faced the consequences. Samuel had an attitude of obedience to God and his ways. And David chose to live focused and relying on God. He chose to seek God and was obedient on hearing his word. He chose to keep his heart tender and his conscience clear. He did not allow that negativity from others to control his life. He was in control of his life. He was making the decisions of whether he went to God or not. He was making the decision to keep his heart clear or not. He was working in partnership with God, and that's what God wants. Work with me. He's not saying you've got to do it by yourself. He says, work with me, and I will deliver you from these things. David took ownership of his own life. He didn't spend time blaming. Now, if we're blaming people, we're missing it. It's so easy to blame somebody else. You know, well, it's all his fault. If he hadn't treated me that way, then... It wouldn't have happened. Oh, it's all her fault. Oh, she treated me better. No. Blaming doesn't get you anywhere. It really doesn't. All it does is takes your focus. Again, focus is over here. God says, turn. Focus here. Focus on your life. Focus on what's right for you. And all these other things would just fall away. They won't mean anything. What you've been focused on feels so big. 
It takes over. And God says, yeah, but turning around, that's gone. That's gone. And it will lose its power in your life. David went on into his destiny. Yeah, we know he got things wrong. <laughs> but he was human. Um, so it's just like, are you ready to get rid of some of those, you know, hindrances in your life? If you do, God's there. That's what he wants to do. All you've got to do is renounce, repent, refocus. That's what he's saying. Refocus. Refocus on him. Don't focus on the other things. Refocus on him. I just want to go back to that, that first um, Isaiah 62.10. And the last line says, Dawn, Dawn, could you pass me? Thank you. It says, and unfurl a banner for the nations. Now, what that means is the Israelites actually um, all had different banners for their tribes. So 12 tribes of Israel, they all had different banners. And when it was ready for them to move, the banner was raised. So church, are we going to move on? Are we going to drop these hindrances and move on? into the destiny, not just single destiny, but the destiny of this church, because we're all in it together. And so if it's yes and amen, then I'm going to unfurl the flag. We are ready as a church. We are ready to move on into what God has got for us. We are not going to waste our time. We are going to refocus. We are going to turn away from those things we've had our eye on and focused on. And we are going to turn around. And we are going to say, yes and amen, God. We want to move. We want to move, don't we? We want to move. Amen. Amen. Lord, but I think that's a great word this morning. Prophetic word. And that's what church is all about. Where we don't just come and go, but we allow God to do something. Do something in our lives. And so, there are those seven things. Grumbling, complaining, and sometimes like me, it's a negative mind. I had a negative mind that God had to deal with. And I had to let that go. Rejection, fear, judging, not agreeing with who God says you are. Going back, I don't know why, I just felt when, when all those points were coming up, that's the point that hit me the most. And perhaps God is challenging some of us this morning and say, you are moving forward, but because you're going back, you're not moving forward enough in what I have for your life. You're going back to some of the old lifestyle, going back to some of the old relationships, going back to some of the old mindsets, going back to some of the old philosophies of life that you lived with. This morning, perhaps, by His grace, and not in our own strength, we're saying, Lord, help us to draw a line in the sand, that we won't go backwards, but we'll only keep going forwards, looking to idols, jealousy comparing, and occult ways. Let's just arise this morning. 
We're going to take one song just to allow us to reflect on all that we've heard. A song.